That's some good singing there. Good morning, church. I'm glad to be with you this morning. Sorry I didn't give you a chance to answer, did I? Uh, turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 1. If you were here last week, Armani mentioned it this morning. We had Vision Sunday last week, and we talked about uh, every year we have an emphasis, and the emphasis this year is outward with the mission, and this is how we would describe that. Read this with me. Ready? Connecting outward with the mission out loud by showing and sharing the good news about Jesus with people across the street and around the world. So in light of that, we are going to teach verse by verse through the book of Acts. In light of that, in my prep this week, I thought back to 25 years ago when I started trying to get back in shape with little kids and started training for a marathon. I got to the place, and look, God didn't give me a marathoner's body, so it wasn't the easiest thing in the world. And, and, but I had got to the place where 11 or 12 miles I could run and not have to take a dozen ibuprofen and go to bed, right? So I'm on a run out in the country in Ohio where we lived, and I'm coming up a slight hill as I get to our house, and I thought I looked good and smooth, and I'm sure I had the fluids coming out of every orifice that God gave me, snorting as you're finishing that 11-mile run. And as I got to this mailbox, there was an elderly couple there right beside the road, and I said, hey, how you doing? And I sort of grunted at them, and they grunted back, and I took about three steps. You know, a lot of times old people can't hear good, and so they talk loud. I think that's what happened here. The old man said to his wife, big boy ain't going to make it, honey. <laughs> I went back and tackled him in his front yard. I said, don't you ever. <laughs> when I thought about that, I thought, man, if you are a Christ follower, it's hard for me to imagine you making it, me making it in the sense that I actually become a part of God's mission his ambassador, without understanding and knowing the book of Acts. In this book, we are going to see the gorgeous story of the birth and the growth of the church of God. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 8. He said, I will build my church. Promise made, promise kept. The proof is you are sitting here today. 2,000 years later. He goes on to say that even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Yes, God's eternal purpose to glorify himself by redeeming sinful humans will not, cannot, and won't be stopped. So as we dig into the book of Acts, we're going to see certainly the explosion of the church, but also how it happened who played key roles in it? We're going to look at the suffering of those who were spreading this new message, the perseverance of God's people, the courage it took to tell the truth when your life was threatened. And here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that you and I, the same spirit that we praise God for, the same spirit that Paul will speak of coming here, the Holy Spirit. I'm praying that God will convict each of us, those of us who are not in the war for the souls of men. Like we need to grow. 
We need to be all in. So this next year, we're going to get a chance to grow in this area. You know as well as I know, the reality is we all have a tendency to hear what we like to hear and see what we like to see because if we love anything, we love some comfort, do we not? And anything that makes us uncomfortable, we're like, no, 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 no. We act like it ain't there. And yet comfort is the advancement or comfort is the enemy of advancement. Comfort is the enemy of the advancement of the kingdom of God and the gospel going forth. So I want God to do this in us this year, to comfort those who are afflicted and to afflict those who are comfortable. So as we start on this year-long emphasis, if you would, of outward with the mission, let's take a look at the book of Acts, this author, its date, its context, its purpose, etc. You may or may not know that Acts is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Both of them are written by a who we call Physician Luke or Doc Luke. Matter of fact, Luke, writing both Luke and Acts, wrote one-fourth of the entire New Testament. Colossians 4 tells us that he was a Gentile, he was a friend of the Apostle Paul, and he traveled with the Apostle Paul. And if you'll notice, Luke, Luke 1.1, and Acts, Act 1.1, they both are written to the same guy, Theophilus. We'll call him Theo for short, because if I say it enough, I'll mispronounce it, right? Here's what he says. Luke, our author, writes in Acts 1.1, in his first book, in the first book, O Theophilus, speaking of the gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And then in the gospel of Luke 1.1, Luke, our author, writes, it seemed good to me having following all those things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theo, so that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So we also see Luke in Acts chapter 16, we see him leaving with Paul to preach in Macedonia on one of his missionary journeys. I believe it was his first. And then in Acts 20 and 21, We see him with Paul again at the end of his third missionary journey. And then in Acts 27 and 28, Luke appears again with Paul as he goes to Rome and was one of his companions while Paul was under house arrest there. Luke was a dear friend and encouragement to Paul. I think our next logical question, though, in my mind is, who is Theo? Who is this guy? that one-fourth of the New Testament was written to by our author Luke. Uh, there's, there's really two main options. If you Google this, you're going to see a lot of cray-cray stuff, but I think two substantial main options. One is, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, he calls him most excellent Theo. Uh, that was a term used for Roman governors. So many people think he was a Roman government official, pretty high up, who had come to Christ. And Luke, uh, our author, wanted him to know everything about the person of Jesus from his miraculous birth all the way through his life, through his death, resurrection, ascension, and then all that he did after that. So it's really one big volume that has been split into Luke and Acts. The other option is the name 
Theophilus actually means friend of God. So, so many conservative scholars have said uh, that, that friend of God is, a, is representative, if you would, of every Christ follower who is called what? A friend of the living God through Christ. Uh, the bottom line is both of those are good options. We don't know. But we know, I want you to know that we, I want you to know what you don't know. Does that make sense? The date here is right at, most people say, 62 AD. The reason they say that, that's when Paul was in Rome. And two years later, Paul was killed by Nero in Rome, uh, was beheaded there in, in 64 AD. So we think, most people assume, if it was dated later uh, that Luke would have written certainly about how Paul was killed in Rome. So around 62 A.D. Now it's the context here and the purpose of Acts is it's it's a it's it's different in that it's a historical narrative of both certainly the birth of the church and the growth of the church over its first 30 years. Its purpose, as I said, as a friendly reminder, comes from really Luke 1.4, to communicate the certainty of the things about Jesus. Again, a whole one document that we split in two books, Luke and Acts. Acts is then intended in some ways to be a Christian apologetic, not, not apologizing for writing it, but to defend and prove that Christ rose from the dead, that his church was birthed and she exploded into the world. It's primarily directed to Christians. It's to show us this historical overview that the church is the culmination of biblical history. It is the culmination of salvation history. And if you think about how Luke does this, it's, it's fascinating. First of all, there are 48 scriptures that quote the Old Testament. Luke is showing, and we will see as we go through it, that God had promised in the Old Testament thousands of years earlier that his people would have the Spirit of God in them, and when the Spirit of God came on them, the church would be birthed. So there's an Old Testament fulfilling a prophecy there. Uh, Acts has 42 testimonies to the gospel, has 10 sermons by Peter and Paul and Stephen has 30 preaching summaries and two commissions to his people, both given by Christ, Acts 1-8, and then to the apostle Paul by Christ in Acts 9-15. To me, as I read it, and I've been doing my walking every morning and been listening to the book of Acts over and over as I walked, I'm amazed that Acts shows how the apostles had an incredible ability to present the gospel with great diversity in how they presented and to a diverse audience, but it was all the same message. As we examine that, that's going to help you and I with our gospel sharing. In Acts, we'll see again and again and again Luke writing about the characters in our book talking about the death and resurrection of Christ. The death and resurrection of Christ to anybody, anywhere, anytime, no matter the cost. There was great clarity of the gospel. 
And I think what else, and that should help us as well, but what else should help us but also shock us is these folks in Acts, this early church, these evangelists, these apostles, they didn't try to make friends and win the influence of the people. (laughs) Now look, they told the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about the Lord Jesus. They told the Jews, you killed Jesus. How about that for some evangelism? They told the masses in Acts 17, there is a day appointed in which God will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has appointed. And in doing, they did not water down the gospel. For you and I, I wouldn't suggest starting there in your gospel conversations. But I do want to be very, very clear. You do not share the gospel if you do not tell the whole truth. They are sinners and they knock things over. (laughs) So, Next, what I wanted to do, my heart was to, look, the book of Acts, a historical narrative, is a really difficult book to outline and wrap your whole head around, but I think it's important to understand the details if you do it within the framework and structure of an outline. So my goal here is to give you an outline to hang all the details on as we go through it, but secondly, I want you to see very clearly the core theme and thesis of Acts. That blank in that second part, the big picture acts, is the word outward. So let me attempt to do both of those, an outline of the book and its core center theme. The first there is the church and its mission. In chapters 1-1 through 241, uh, we'll see that Luke sort of starts off rooting the church and its mission In the acts and words of Jesus, it is Jesus who is risen from the dead. It is Jesus who prepares the apostles for the coming of the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus that gives them their marching orders, if you would, their mandate about what their life was to be about. And in this section, we'll see the first ever evangelistic sermon in the New Testament in chapter 2, 14 through 41. And just as a friendly reminder, anytime people are coming to Christ in a revival sense, the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God is always linked to it. Rarely in salvation history has those two things been apart. For us, here's what that means. If you and I are biblically illiterate, our lips will be mute if you and I know our know the scriptures and we don't tell others about Christ, then it is our heart that has grown hard and needs awakening. So both are important. This section ends, though, with this. Listen. They, there were added that day 3,000 souls. What's the theme of Acts? Outward. Secondly, second section, the church in Jerusalem. From 242 to 6-7, Luke summarizes in some ways at first the early characteristics of the church. Listen to what that is, Acts 242. Ready? Bible teaching, prayer, communion, 
and fellowship. Sound familiar? Yeah, there's a pattern there he lays out. He, this section shows Peter healing a crippled man in the temple, which later gives him a platform for another missionary sermon. But as we know, it wasn't going to be long, and it's not, when hostility arises toward Christians from the Sanhedrin or the Jewish religious leaders in this section. And in doing so, they told Peter and John, they said, you need to shut your mouth. I'm speaking about Jesus Christ. And John and Peter's response was, no, nah, they said, nope. Nada. Like, we'll, we'll obey all the laws of the land, but we refuse to not speak about Christ. Why? Acts 4 tells us we can't do it because of what we have seen and heard. In addition in this section, if you got enough people, you got what? Problems. <laughs> yeah, we got some people problems, right? There's a married couple that lies and there is swift judgment in the church. That will be interesting to unpack. And in addition, human needs are met. Real humans need, have real needs, and the leadership of the church begins to multiply to meet those needs very practically. But here's how the second section ends. Luke, I mean, Acts 6-7, the word of God spread. So what is the theme of Acts? Outward. Y'all ain't say it. Next time you say it louder. All right. The third one is Triple S, Stephen, Samaria, and Saul. Now, Chad Vincent and I went to a high school named Smithfield Selma Spartans, Triple S. So when I saw Stephen, Samaria, and Saul, I said, I got to put it. That'll help you remember it, right? The Triple S in the third section. From 6-8 to 9-31. Here in this section, it's really onward and outward as the stories show how the church began to stretch its boundaries. It began in Jerusalem. It began in historic Judaism. And in this section, it starts going outside those Old Testament walls. Stephen here, we see, is the first ever Christian martyr. He's a central character here who, has, who had a pretty sizable following, uh, following and he's teaching, but he gets accused of speaking against the Jewish law. And as he's brought before the Sanhedrin, or the religious leaders of the Jews, to address these charges, he goes back and gives a survey, if you would, of Israel's salvific history and how it's come to culmination in this point in time with Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. And in doing so, he signed and he said to them, you are resisting the Spirit of God. In doing so, he signed his own death penalty. And he was stoned to death in the street, Acts 7. Sad as that is, though, we know God's church will not be stopped. And God is at work. Philip brings the gospel to Samaria. And the Samaritans believe, and the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were a mixed breed that the Jews looked down upon and the Jews thought the Samaritans aren't good enough for our God. Interesting. Finally, Luke describes to us the miracle. An absolute, and every salvation is a miracle. But we know the miracle salvation of a man who was named Saul. 
in Acts chapter 9, who became Paul. And listen to how Luke ends this section, 931. The church was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. So what is the theme and thesis of Acts? Come on now. Y'all smarter than, than the first service. Section 4, Peter and the Gentiles, 932 to 1224. In these chapters, we're, we're really going to see Luke focusing on Peter and the role he played to open up the gospel or to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Peter, it starts off in this section, is doing miracles north of Jerusalem. And a Roman soldier by the name of Cornelius, a Gentile Roman soldier, comes to Christ and in doing so, the Spirit of God, while Peter was speaking, fell on the Gentiles. And the text tells us many placed their trust in Christ and were saved, which was a part of helping to convince Peter, this, this locked-in Jew, that this gospel is for also for Gentiles. Crucial point in our chapter. We'll also see where Christians were first called Christians. Where was that at? Anybody know? Antioch. Antioch. We'll see that. Not Antioch, Tennessee. Okay. <laughs> Peter here does go to prison in this section, but escapes via a miracle, via a miracle from God. And the man who put him in there, Herod Agrippa, the Lord killed him. Take that as you may. Messing with God's people. But here's how this section ends. 1224. The word of God continued to increase and spread. What is the theme of Acts? Man, we smooth. Number five, Paul and the Gentiles, 1225 to 165. Now Luke, what he does here, he turns the focus on Paul. And from this point forward, Paul will dominate primarily the rest of the book. The big idea here is Paul is being used by God to spearhead a full-fledged ministry of the gospel to the Gentiles in order that the gospel may be taken to the ends of the earth. And what happens here is the church at Antioch actually becomes a missionary-sending church. It unleashes not only Paul, but Barnabas and John Mark on its first missionary journey. We see that early on in the text. And in that, we see a pattern develop in this section. And here's the pattern. Paul and his companions go to a city. As they get to the city, they go immediately to the Jewish synagogue, and they begin telling about Jesus, preaching the gospel. In those cities, the Jews and religious leaders reject the message. They start to persecute, persecute Paul and his companions. Paul and his companions shake the dust off their feet, if you would, and say, We'll move on, and they go and begin speaking in public about the Lord Jesus, and Gentiles come to Christ, and then the Jews come back around and get fired up and beat them and run them out of town. That's the New Testament pattern for church planning and gospel saturation. How about that? Thank you very much. We also see the conflict between Christian leaders. How about that? You got people, you got problems, and you got conflict. Some of y'all look at me with a strange face, right? So we see that here, but we also get introduced to our man, Timothy, for the first time. But again, the section five ends with 
the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. What's the theme of the book of Acts? Come on, man. Six, deep in pagan territory, the Spirit of God directs Paul to take the gospel into Macedonia to straight up pagans. And here's what we need to know about this part of the world. It's a part of what modern day mission organizations called the 1040 window based on the coordinates. It is Northern Africa and the majority of Muslim countries where now that 5 billion people live and there are 9,000 people groups and this is the most unevangelized strip of land in the entire world and has been. But here's Paul putting feet there to share the gospel. Macedonia, deep in pagan territory. And in doing so, Paul and Silas, are, they're put in jail, miraculously rescued, but persecution forces them to flee to this small town of Berea. Remember the Bereans? We'll take a closer look at them. Trouble falls in there. Paul leaves for Athens. He preaches there in Athens his famous Mars Hill sermon to the pagans in Athens. Then he goes on to Corinth. He plants a church and he equips and disciples them for 18 months there. Then on to Ephesus and numerous other cities. But here's how this section ends. 1920, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. What's the theme of Acts? Lastly, to Rome, then home, from chapter 1921 to the end of the book, 2831. We end this book, I think I would summarize it with Paul is determined that God has called him to go to Rome to share the gospel with the Roman leaders. And really, it becomes Luke's entire focus in these last 10 or so chapters of the book. But in this, like, uh, unlike other chapters, I'm telling y'all, if you, if you want to start there, start with these chapters. Because all if you like drama, all heck breaks loose in these chapters. Even as it does, God promises Paul, you will testify to the Roman leaders before I die. A great reminder to us to have courage. Yes, the Jews are trying to murder you, Paul, but I will not let you die until I am ready to bring you home. With Paul in Rome, which he eventually reached, which we was under house arrest for two years, sharing the gospel. His next move was from Rome to home. As I mentioned earlier, two years later, AD 64, he was beheaded by Nero. But here's how Paul and Luke, here's how Luke describes Paul at the end of his life, sitting in a Roman dungeon. He was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. That's how we're supposed to go out. Not only that, that's how we're supposed to live. So we got some background that's going to be helpful in the weeks ahead. We see the big picture acts outward, outward, and then we sort of see it outlined in terms of the movements of God for his church to birth her and grow her. And we are proof of that birth and growth. 
But lastly, let me take us to our first 11 verses. Anticipation, says in your notes, from the Holy Spirit to the ascension. That's supposed to be reversed. My dyslexia got in the way from the ascension to the Holy Spirit. So I apologize. Make a note. As we look at these first 11 verses, let me remind us that Luke, in his first book, which is the Gospel of Luke, writes about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Remember, until the day he was taken up to heaven. And then, then the author Luke, in his second book, which is Acts, writes about what Jesus continued to do and teach after his, what, ascension through the Holy Spirit and certainly primarily through the life of the apostles. So here's the reality that can help us see this clearly. Jesus had an earthly ministry, a ministry on earth, that was followed by his ministry from heaven, activated by his spirit. And he's been doing and teaching the same things. And the watershed moment between his ministry on earth in his ministry from heaven is the ascension. We see that in Acts 1 through 11 and at the end of the book of Luke. So Luke, therefore, he ends his first book with the ascension and begins his second book with the ascension. The ascension terminates Jesus' earthly ministry and inaugurates his heavenly ministry. Here's how one writer put it this way. He said, Jesus lived and Jesus lives. And that's how we see his two ministries. So read with me Acts 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theo, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John the Baptist baptized with, or John baptized with water, Excuse me, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven, he, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. So here we have, I want you to notice as we wrap up these first few verses in the book of Acts. In verses 2 through 5, Jesus chose the apostles. 
Jesus showed himself to the apostles, did he not? Jesus commissioned them, verses 3 through 5 and 8, and he promised them the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I want you to know. You're not an apostle. I'm not an apostle. You had to see the Lord Jesus Christ physically in person to be considered for apostleship. But having said that, let me make sure we do know that the things that were true of the apostles are true of every Christ follower where the Spirit of God indwells them. Every Christian, we have been chosen by God. Jesus has revealed himself to us through his spirit and his word. We have been commissioned as witnesses. Paul calls us ambassadors. And we have both been promised and given his spirit. I thought about, man, there's a lot of privileged talk in our culture today. And if you are a child of the living God and those four things, they are true of you. You are a privileged people. A privileged people called and equipped to be as messengers to a lost and dying world. Foundationally, what the scriptures teach us is that we have everything we need to do what he's called us to do, in, including going outward with the mission to those that do not know Christ. This next year, just so we're clear, honestly, in me and you, it will be about us together surrendering and obeying this call on our lives. <laughs> about asking the Lord to show us what is it in your spiritual journey that stops you from reaching outward with the mission to those who don't know Christ? What is that? What is it that makes you so fearful when your lips won't move or don't move? We want to address those things. We want to help you get over those hurdles. We want to equip you. We want to motivate you, encourage you, pray for you so that all of us are moving forward no matter where we start. At the end of the year, we've all moved forward with going outward with the mission. John Stott, the great John Stott, Put it this way, if you are not involved in the process of evangelism or planning to be soon, you're not following the Jesus of the Bible. You have made him into your own image. And none of us want that to be said of us. So we're going to do it together. Secondly, as we look at verses 6 through 8 here in these opening verses uh, just context, we're 40 days post-resurrection and 10 days prior to Pentecost where the Spirit of God comes down in Acts 2. And we know this, that over those 40 days, Jesus has physically been with his men. He has spoken to his men about the kingdom of God, which was really the message that John the Baptist came, said he came preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus showed up preaching what? The kingdom of God. Jesus is filling in details here with his men, and he is talking about this earthly, he is talking about and has been for three years with these apostles, this eternal kingdom that is not an earthly kingdom. And verse 6 exposes them that they still don't get it. He is risen from the dead, folks. 
He has hung out and ate fish with them as a risen person. And look what they say in verse 6. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? After three years, they don't get, after seeing Jesus die and rise and hanging with him, they don't get the core center central of Jesus' message, the eternal kingdom of God. Now, this should encourage you. (laughs) They didn't get it at this point. They eventually did get it. And scripture and Acts tells us they turned the world upside down. So be encouraged wherever you are. If you don't get it, you can get it. If you do get it, you can also turn the world upside down. Calvin helps us here. He says, there are many errors in this question by the apostles in verse 6. It betrays doctrinal confusion about the kingdom. For the verb restore shows that they were expecting a political and territorial kingdom. And the noun Israel shows they were expecting a national kingdom. And the adverbal clause at this time, at this time, it shows that they were expecting its immediate establishment. Again, two things. One, it should encourage you. We can do this. We need to get it. And secondly, in verse 7 and 8, Jesus corrected his followers on the spot with Acts 1.8. No, it's none of your business when the kingdom will be established. What is your business is Acts 1.8, which is the whole center of the book of Acts. Here's what John Stott says on the kingdom of God. He says, power in God's kingdom is different than power in human kingdoms. Man, we need to hear this today in our culture. The kingdom of God is the rule set up in the lives of God's people by the Holy Spirit. It is spread by witnesses, not by soldiers, through a gospel of peace, not a declaration of war, by the work of the Spirit, not by the force of arms. Political intrigue or revolutionary violence. The fact is that although it must not be identified with any political ideology or program, it has radical political and social implications. And the kingdom of God, he says, always comes into collision with secular worldly values. Let us, as a church, be about building the eternal kingdom of God. Lastly, verses 9 through 11, Jesus now ascends into heaven, out of their sight, and there's two angels there. And what do they say? As Jesus moves out of the way, they look at the apostles and say, yo, it's a Greek word, yo, hey, hey, hey. What you, no stargazing allowed. Get your eyeballs out of the sky. He ain't coming back, Jack. Get to work. That's what they tell him. Like the angels are saying, y'all have got to catch on here. (laughs) But let me remind us that the text says the way he comes back will be similar to how he left. But the difference will be twofold. One is 
When he comes back, he, he left alone, but when he comes back, he will have millions of angels and followers with him. And secondly, just a handful of people saw him leave, and every eye at the same time, in a blink of an eye, will see when he returns. The writer of Acts, Dr. Luke, wants us to build our entire lives around the ascension, the risen, resurrection, ascension, and the return of Christ. While we're here, in between that ascension and his return, we're to build our lives on that fact and truth. So, you're so what this today? I put two blanks there. It is two words. My witnesses. Acts 1.8 tells us you have been called to be the witness of the Lord Jesus himself. He has called you that. What will that look like? Are you willing to engage in the process of growth and change and mission? Get your hands dirty in the mission. You ready? Good. Take a minute and consider that. Jesus' name.